Well, good morning. Hey, turn with me if you have your Bibles with you to Luke chapter 12 over in the New Testament. Um, but before we get to that, uh, welcome. I, I, I want to mention uh, March 12. So what is that? Not next Sunday, the following Sunday. Um, we are having what we call a church welcome and information class that I'll be leading. It's a three-hour class on uh, Sunday afternoon at 1.30. We provide child care if you need it. Uh, but basically the gist of it is, is if you want to become a member, uh, a partner of New Life Church, uh, we really want you to sit through that to kind of hear about, you know, in depth of who we are and where we're going. Or maybe you go, well, I don't really, I'm not really interested in becoming a member or whatever, but I do want to just learn more about who you are and where you're going and, you know, what is new life? Who is new life? Um, there's absolutely no pressure, pressure during that class. We would absolutely love to have you join us as well um, just to come check it out, see what's going on. We, uh, we provide child care. Uh, there will be sign-ups made available this week. Watch for those or you can let them know even after the service at the Welcome Center and uh, we'd be glad to have you. I'd love to spend that time with you uh, in a time other than just saying hi-bye on a Sunday morning. It's a great time to get to know each other as well. Well, we are looking at Luke chapter 12 today, and we're going to be talking about uh, generosity. Uh, generosity, uh, basically living with hands open versus like this, right? Really, we're going to be talking about uh, the bottom line of it is all about the posture of the heart, the posture of the heart, not, not the physical heart, the, the spiritual heart. The heart, according to the Bible, is made up of man's spiritual heart. The heart, according to the Bible, is uh, its spiritual makeup. It's the place where our emotions begin, our desires begin, it's, it's the heart of what makes us who we are that drives us to do the things we do it's it's the posture of the heart and today we're going to look at a story that Jesus told um, and no pun intended but it gets to the heart of the question we all ask through life every stage of life and the question is this will I have a good life nothing wrong with that question we all ask it, will I have a good life? Um, we're, we're constantly asking that question, no matter what stage of life we're in, we're constantly pursuing that, the answer to that question, will I have a good life? Let me illustrate. So, when you're in high school, there's one thing that stands between you and the good life, especially unless it's changed these days, when I was in ninth, 10th grade, um, one thing that stands between you and uh, the good life, and that is a driver's license, right? You know, you get your driver's license, you get access to a car some way, somehow. I remember my first car was a four-door baby poop brown Dodge Dart. I mean, it was the ultimate chick magnet. It, it was just, it really reeled them in. Um, but, but you're convinced that, man, I get my driver's license. I'm going to, 
what I don't understand about some kids today, some kids it seems like they don't really care. They wait till they're 17, 18, whatever. Man, I, I started driving before, you know, I was even, you know, my dad was just that kind of dad that didn't care if I would drive some out in the country or whatever. And I couldn't wait. Worked out well for my family, you know, when you, when you have teenagers and one of them actually gets a driver's license so they can help run their siblings to all the other places and uh, worked out great for our family, at least with my boys, with Cody and Caleb. The driver's license was a great move. Um, not so much with Taylor. That, that was a totally different story. Um, in fact, I'll, I'll show you a picture which will help illustrate the why of why it wasn't such a good thing with Taylor. Go ahead, Phil. So don't, no one was seriously hurt in this, okay? This was on the way home. Taylor was driving home from teen group. And uh, what I love about this, well, first of all, that's one of the very few semi-cool cars I've ever owned. It was a Nissan Maxima. Obviously, it was used. It's not like I'm buying new Maximas or anything, but it was like very, very cool. And then this, Taylor gets her license. Um, What's really intriguing about this situation is, and I don't know if I've shown you guys this before, I don't think I have, um, her police report that she filled out. Here's a picture of the actual police report my daughter filled out. We were just talking, and the next thing I knew, we hit a tree and I got out of the car. <laughs> That's the actual police report. Well, thanks, Tay. You know, because the police thought that maybe the trees just got a little rowdy that night. <laughs> and them and, you know, old Stumpy that the car ran into, they just jump out and scare drivers. As they, they thought, man, that's really what happened. And Stumpy is just a little slow and he didn't get out of her way fast enough. She hits. Thanks, Tay. We just were talking. Hit. Next thing I know, we hit a tree, got out of the car. That's very insightful. And then, but what's really good about this is if you have a daughter, you'll appreciate this. Any daddy-daughter time that you can have is awesome. And so there was some court-ordered daddy-daughter time. <laughs> Driving school, which, which, by the way, in all seriousness, I recommend that for any driver. Parents, it is worth the money. Hopefully the judge won't have to make you go, but it is real-life stuff. It's awesome. And then a great little picture of me and Taylor in the class, just hanging out with all the other people who were speeding and doing really bad stuff. <laughs> What's interesting about Taylor, which maybe helps explain some of this, true story. At one point she says, sometimes I just forget I'm driving. I'm like, <laughs> okay. Fortunately for you all, she now lives in southern Ohio. So, um, so you know, what, what's between me and the good life when I'm in high school with a driver's license? Um, if you're a college student, what is it between you and the good life? No, it's not the guy or girl that's sitting next to you. It's you're concerned about proving that you can get, you can secure gainful employment. 
you want to prove that to the world. And, and just for the record, your parents are wondering the same thing. Can you secure gainful employment? But that's what's standing between you and the good life. Uh, for parents of young children, I remember this, even though it was a long time ago. I remember it clear as day. The thing that stood between us and the good life was 8 o'clock, 8 p.m. Right? You, you know what I'm talking about. That's when, you know, whenever you put the kids to bed and then you have an hour or two of just, just nothingness. Um, for parents of teenagers, what stands between you and the good life is uh, your teenagers will move out in a few years and you'll empty nest and all the stuff. That's where Chris and I are at right now. So we're learning through all of that. Um, older folks, for you who have worked all of your lives, what is it that stands between you and the good life? Retirement, right? Um, all of us at every stage, we're asking the question, will I have the good life? And we're, we're putting our energy into making sure that we will. Now what Jesus is going to do in the story we're about to read is to point to the place where we often go for the good life. Uh, this is where we go to make sure life is going to be great for us. Um, but Jesus is also going to show us that this place that we tend to go doesn't give us a very good answer. He's going to give us a better place to find the answer to the question, will I have the good life? So Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. Keep your Bibles open to that. Uh, we're going to work through some of it. Then someone called from the crowd, teacher, tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of what? Greed. Life, and this is another key phrase, life is not measured by how much you own. Now pause for a second. This is an interesting situation because Jesus is with a group of people and he's teaching. Um... And in the midst of that teaching, somebody stands up and says, Hey, you know, Jesus, I need your help with something. I need you to help answer a question for me in a dispute. And he, this guy says, I'm, I, I have a dispute with my brother, and he's not giving me my share of the inheritance, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously, this guy wants his share of the inheritance. Uh, and G uh, the guy is asking Jesus, hey, w would you settle this dispute? Would you make this right between us? In other words, in a way he's going, he's trying to assure he's going to have a good life because of the inheritance. You know, he's attaching receiving his inheritance to the quality of life. So he's thinking, you know, if I can get my share of the inheritance, I could do the things I always wanted to do. I can buy that house that I want to buy. I can start that business that I've wanted to start for years. At, at the very least, it will make me more eligible for bachelors. You know, at least I'll have uh, a more eligible bachelor. At, at least I'll have that going for me. Um, he's likely thinking that if he doesn't get that part of the inheritance that he's supposed to get, then life is not going to be very good. He's going to 
go to the same place we typically go to answer that question, will I have a good life? Will I have the home that I want? What kind of car will I drive? Are we able to take the vacations we want to take, etc.? What standard of living am I going to be able to achieve? That's typically the place we go to answer the question, will I have a good life? Now, notice, before we read on, Jesus doesn't say that it's sinful to have wealth, right? Uh, he doesn't say that it's wrong to have a certain standard of living. Uh, wealth is not evil in and of itself, Abraham was wealthy, David was wealthy, other great men in the Bible were wealthy and they were blessed with riches. He, he just says that you've got to be careful. He, he, Jesus is saying, you've got to be careful not to measure life by how much you own. There's nothing wrong with owning stuff and having wealth. You, you just can't go there to answer the question, will I have a good life? Jesus knows that what just happened in the crowd in that moment related to many of the folks there that day. And as he looks down through the portals of time, he sees that it's the same thing that we often struggle with. You know, like this guy trying to get his inheritance, many of us think, if I could just have a little bit more, get a little bit more, if I had a little extra money in the bank, if my salary was a little higher. If I had that position, then I'd have the good life. And I don't have enough. If I had a little bit more, all would be well. Now, there are others of us who might not be asking that question because maybe you've done pretty well financially. Uh, Jesus is going to tell a story not from the perspective of the guy that feels like he doesn't have enough. He's actually going to tell a story about someone on the other end of the spectrum who has enough. Read on, verse 16. Then he told a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Now stop there for a moment. Push the pause button. Most of us would agree that this guy's living the good life. You know, um, he's sitting there going, I have a problem. I'm, I have so much coming in with my crops that I need to tear down my current barns and, and build bigger rooms. I mean, who doesn't love bigger barns? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm making so much money, I'm going to sit back and talk to myself. That's where this guy is. You know, life is good. He says, I, I'm set, I'll eat, I'll drink and be merry. This is the life that we'd all love to have. But there's this unfortunate thing that's about to happen to the rich man. Verse 20, but God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And that is a key phrase, a rich relationship with God. So we may not have an inheritance issue. We may not have a bigger barn issue, but we all have our unique financial situations, our, our preferred standard of living for which we're striving and Jesus in this moment is giving us a universal 
warning here that the quality of your life has absolutely nothing to do with your financial standing. You know, once, once you have enough, that enough target moves, right? It, it's, a, it's a moving target. Just when you think, okay, I have this standard of living, I can drive this car, I like this, I, I, I can get in this kind of house that I like, I can go on this vacation, you get there and you're like, oh, okay, this is nice, but can I go on another vacation? Can I get that car? Can I get that house? And all of a sudden, enough moves again on you. That's why Jesus said that you've got to be careful that greed doesn't creep into your heart. Greed is this constant desire, this, this destructive pursuit for more, 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 more. It's, it's vital that we as the body of Christ overcome our need to serve up a palatable message and return to living and communicating the truth. And the truth is this, greed is the pathway to death of spirit. Greed is the pathway to death of relationship. Greed is the pathway to death of an effective witness for Christ. And what's interesting, none of us set out to be greedy. You know, in second grade when they ask, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? No one says, I want to be greedy. Right? Uh, when you're convinced that your standard of living is going to directly impact the quality of your life, the pursuit of enough is a constant destructive pursuit. That pursuit for more and more and more. You know, and Jesus is saying life is not measured by how much you own. Enough is a moving target, but now, kind of a rabbit trail here, that target can be hit. There are people, maybe some under the sound of my voice, who you have enough. You've done well for yourselves, you're set financially, you're able to whatever, and you've hit the enough target. Um, but you still have to understand why Jesus said aiming for that target is foolish. Because even when you do hit it for a moment in life, you realize, well, that's the wrong target altogether. That's not giving me the good life. You get financially secure and you have stability and something inside of you when you lay your head on your pillow at night, you're sitting there going, man, there's something still missing. I, I mean, that's the simple version of why you may know some folks who are very wealthy and yet they're not happy. I know some folks who are wealthy and they're happy because they have their priorities straight, right? It's also why we know some folks who have very little of anything and yet they're happy. How, you know, it's because Jesus said that that's not how you find the, that's not how the quality of your life is measured. Instead, he says that you should focus your effort not on building worldly wealth with that in and of itself is not bad, but we should focus our effort on having a rich relationship with God because that's where the good life comes. The simple life changing principle is that the quality of your life, Jesus says, is determined by the quality of your relationship 
with God. That's it. That's the bottom line. That's what he says. Here's how you have the good life. So the problem in this story isn't that he made money. Uh, God wasn't opposed to profit. He's not opposed to profit. Uh, the problem in the story is not that the man had a financial strategy. That's not the problem. That's not wrong. In fact, the great commercial break here on um, April 5th, we are starting a Financial Peace University class. It's a nine-week class. It's free. Um, registration will open up this week. It, if you have not been a part of that class, man, it is a great class. But anyway, God wasn't opposed to having a financial strategy. God isn't opposed to planning. The problem in the story isn't that even the guy kicked back and enjoy the moment. God's not opposed to pleasure. The thing that God was opposed to with this man in the story is his pride. Pride. Rather than living like this, he was living like this. You know, we're talking about the posture of the heart. James chapter 4 verse 6 says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God is in direct opposition to those who are prideful. And so often we think of those who are prideful as those who are really extravagant and loud and all of that, you know, uh, we think of right now, I'm actually, you know, when I go to bed, I'll watch a few minutes of a movie just to kind of get my brain off of everything else. And right now, I know it's kind of weird, but I'm watching Beauty and the Beast. Okay, it's weird, okay? A 55-year-old man laying in the bed watching Beauty and the Beast. That's a pretty good movie. Um, and when we think of pride, we think of Gaston. Yeah, you know, just a big flamboyant, you know. Or <clears throat> if someone said, Troy, there's only one movie you can watch for the rest of your the entirety of your life, there's just one, what movie would you pick? For me, it would be It's a Wonderful Life. Doesn't matter if it's Christmas time or not. That's like the all-time best movie in the, the entire world. And so when we think of pride, we think of Potter and It's a Wonderful Life. But pride often comes in a more silent, subtle package than that. Listen, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 14. Do not become what? proud at that time and forget the Lord your God that's the key phrase forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt actually the biggest form of pride manifests itself when we forget God when we make our plans without God when we live life without acknowledging God when we don't refer or defer to God when we don't ask him for what we need uh, when we don't thank him for the stuff that we have. So pride at its very root is forgetting God. And you don't have to be loud and boisterous like Potter or Gaston to forget God. Think of how this story would have been different if the rich man in this moment would have remembered God. What if God, what if we would have said, you know, God, thank you for providing for me. I am so blessed. What do you think I should do with this? God, I'm thinking about tearing down my barns and building bigger barns. Is this really of you? 
And think of how the story would have been different. And the question is, are you, am I in the same boat today? You know, have we forgotten God? Have we neglected his word? Have we ignored the prompting of the spirit within us when he moves us? Have we taken too much credit for our success? Have, have you tried to control your life by constantly worrying about things over which you have very little, if any, control? That's pride. Do you feel the pressure of everything depending on you? That's pride. And in our pride, we think that we're able to figure it out and we forget that there's a God who loves us, there's a God who is good, there's a God that is intimately involved with every detail of our life. There's a God who says, I will supply all of your needs. You don't have to worry about it. There's a God who says, Troy, all things work together for the good of those who love him. Have we forgotten God? Um, so Jesus says the bottom line is if you want to have a good life, it boils down to having a rich relationship with God. But he absolutely opposes, not just like it throws him off a little bit, but God absolutely opposes the proud. I mean, they can't even come to the table of relationship with God. Um, now, there's two types of folks when we struggle with pride. One is maybe you're here and um, you've never stepped across that line of faith and you've just like, I, I don't need God. I can do this on my own. I don't need him in my life. I don't need him, you know. If that's you, lay the pride aside Confess your need for God, invite him into your life, even now, even this morning. But there's others of us who maybe we've done that, and over time things have just kind of, you know, life has kicked in and stuff has happened, and we've forgotten. You know, we, we don't read God's word, we don't pray, we don't honor God first with our tithes and offerings. Um, you know, I'll just come to church on occasion as long as there's nothing else great going on or you're stressed about everything depending on you versus God or you think, I've got this covered, I'm good. Uh, and Jesus says, that, that's all pride. That's, and, and until you get rid of that, until you lay that down, you will not have a rich relationship with God, which is the key to a good life the question we're always pursuing at every stage of life, whether it's from a driver's license to retirement. Lord, would you help us at New Life to be those who live with our hands open? Would you help us to set aside the pride and I realize that comes in different stages and different amounts and different, you know, boy, it can just sneak in there somehow. Not, not intentionally, you know, it's not like we purposefully become prideful, but 
And so, Lord, whether there's someone in here under the sound of my voice who they're not a Christian, they've not stepped across that line of faith, but, Lord, uh, this morning they've tried to do it themselves and they've been living in this selfish pride of, I can do this, I don't need God. Lord, would you help them to step across that line this morning and just confess their need to you and to confess, I'm lost, I'm broken, I need your forgiveness in my life. Come into my heart. If that's you, do that even now. And if you do do that, please let us know you've prayed that prayer. Tell me, tell someone at the Welcome Center, Jesus, I need you. Or if you're here and maybe you're a Christian and you, the Spirit is just gently pointing out, you're, you're dealing with some pride here. God, help us in this moment to not rationalize that away that the, the move of your spirit help us not to, to make excuses help us not to ignore it but Lord help us just to lay it at your feet Lord just have your way in these moments you are all we need I'm going to invite you just to worship with us this morning. Stand, and if someone wants to come pray, we invite you to pray. gone through the motions I'm sorry I just sang another song take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you I'm sorry when I've come with my agenda I'm sorry I forgot that you're enough take me back to where we started I open up my heart to you caught up in your prayer 
this morning only Jesus just Jesus Jesus is enough period great reminder throughout the message throughout the singing song we sang earlier today keeps rolling through my mind earlier in the service your way is better father your way is better than mine just a couple minutes before you leave one of the ways of Jesus is serving, being generous with people, with his time, with his efforts. And at New Life, serving is our lifestyle. And there are nearly 400 of you who are part of our life team, meaning you're serving, you're giving generously in generosity of your time and your talents, your passions, your gifts. And we just thank you for that. A week from tomorrow night, we're gathering in this room for a big life team rally to celebrate all that God is doing through our life team. If you haven't signed up for that yet, I really encourage you as you leave today to go to a kiosk and make sure you're signed up for that big life team rally. But not only do so many of you give of your time and your talents, but you're so, so generous with your resources, your finances. If you're signed up for our New Life Communications, you would have noticed this past week an email that highlighted 
the fact that we are truly a global church in over 160 world areas. We support nearly 500 global missionaries taking the good news of Jesus throughout the world. Our own John and Shyla Hall, they were in the first service, I believe, but they were missionaries for decades to Ecuador and Costa Rica, Mexico, and Brazil. Part of that support that we're talking about, and we couldn't do that without you, without your giving. Every A portion of every dollar you give goes to support global missionaries. Thank you for being so generous. I do want to say, those of you that are new this morning, as you walk out the door, I would encourage you to take a welcome card that completed a welcome card and drop it at the Welcome Center and exchange that for a gift. We just want to say thanks for being with us today. One final thing. Ladies, at New Life, transformation is our goal. And the If Gathering is designed for women to encounter Jesus in a transformational way. It's a women's national telecast event, and it kicks off this Friday. If you have not registered for that, again, as you leave today, I would encourage you to make sure you can be a part of that at one of the kiosks. New Life, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. According to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Go in peace this morning. I know.